0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dobry večer and welcome to the Bohemian Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Dow. Dobri večer from Prague. I'm Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy
1: Podcast. On tonight's Bohemican Podcast, we're going to talk about one of the more influential moments in Czech history, and it's a more recent moment compared to many of the things we've talked about on a historical basis on this show. And it's going to deal with the Velvet Revolution, and the name says a lot of it right there. The Velvet Revolution in 1989 was just that. It was a smooth transition between communism and their representative democracy that would later take take foot in the 1990s. The Velvet Revolution uh, was a peaceful protest that moved the Czech people into, uh, back to their own nationhood again after having Soviet control for, for several generations. And w- to get an idea about that, we have to look at the year 1989. This is on the tales of what was going on with Mikhail Gorbachev and uh, what was going on with Perestroika as well as Glasnost and the ramifications of openness within the, the Soviet Union that led to so many actions among the former satellite republics or nations. Uh, the events began in Poland in 1989 and continued in Hungary, East Germany, Bulgaria, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. Travis, the demonstrations that we saw here were peaceful, but given an idea, how did it really kind of get moving as far as gaining well, s- gaining steam?
0: Yeah, because um, one thing that, that people have to realize is that demonstrations in general is, is a very... A touchy subject under communism and up until this time they were just just crushed immediately um, not tolerated at all and so the reason they got away with it this time like you said there was perestroika and that, and that kind of thing but this one specifically on November 17th in 1989 the SSM the Socialist Youth Organization arranged a demonstration in Albertov for Jan Opital, and um, Jan Opital was a medic who was shot by Nazis. And that's kind of the key thing there, is that the only way to have a demonstration under communism is to demonstrate some kind of uh, either anti-fascist thing or a kind of a memorial for something that happened um, under the Nazis. They kind of took that and, and went with it. So, sorry to interrupt
1: you on this one, but a lot of our questions as is- from myself as well as I'm sure from our listeners that I didn't find in the readings were the idea that was this used as a guise? Was, it, was this used as a, uh, a way for the, um, uh, this, this youth movement to, to at least gain some steam under the guise of, of, of celebrating uh, the life of uh, and, and the death yeah. of uh, yeah. Othell? Yeah,
0: I, w- I would definitely say so. I, I'd say that, that by this point, any demonstration, no matter what the pretense or, or the pretext, was, was just anti-government. Um, yeah, I mean the the communist government was really un, uh, un they were really unpopular, and you know there was there was yeah any reason to have a good excuse to demonstrate against them sure, but um, and in fact you can you can see that that instantly I mean almost immediately the demonstration kind of got out of hand so they they started at uh, Albertov and they marched up towards Narodnitskaya which is kind of a, a straight shot it's it's one road. And then we have what, we, what they call the massacre at Národní Trita So when they, okay, from Albertov they marched up to the top of Víšedat, which is the other castle in Prague. So so Albertov was right below it, basically. So they just marched up the hill and they went to Karl Hinek Macha's grave. And um, uh, by the way, he's a he was a poet um, that died before all this. But from the grave they went to the center. Now at Národní trita the police had blocked off access to Wenceslas Square and that's where they wanted to go. I and mean, Wenceslas Square, that's the main square in Prague, that's where everything happens. That's, you know, when the Nazis took over, that's where they drove up and down. Prague Springs epicenter exactly, was there as well in 1968. That's, that's, yeah. that's where the tanks drove up when the when the communists came. Um, so they blocked off access and then around Narodni the Trida started beating the students. Some 40 were rushed off to the hospital and one of them allegedly died. And this was brutal even for socialist standards. So this, you know, the, the Czechoslovakian government was very uh, strict and very conservative a, as far as socialism went. So while the, the East German government started to back off and, and other Eastern Bloc, especially Poland and, and especially the Hungarian government had, had enough of uh, Moscow, the Czechoslovakian government was very strict Partially because of the, the Prague Spring, like you said. So, I mean, they had a very tight link to Moscow. And they were one of the most conservative socialist governments at the time, which is kind of surprising that they had this soft transition. But And, and, and Travis, you mentioned
1: yeah, the, the Prague Spring in 1968, right? Yeah. Um, this had to be on the forefront of minds of not only the protesters, but also the powers to be in, in the Czechoslovak government, uh, and as well as in Moscow. The blowback that Moscow received in 1968 by sending tanks in was universal. It, it, it went ar- around even other Soviet nations. They said, you, you, this is unbelievable. You're taking over yeah. on a military basis. It was a blowback that, if given the second chance, they probably wouldn't have done it that way.
0: Yeah, so Moscow got a lot of blowback from the whole world, including socialist countries. But um, so, th- so the rest of the Eastern Bloc might have seen that as like, oh, you know, I, w- what if that happened to us? Right. Whereas um, Czechoslovakia had, because of that, they you know they were on the receiving end of that Prague Spring, so they had a really strict uh, control. You know, Moscow had; they were under Moscow's thumb. And I'm one sure, one and one I'm one sure one during
1: it. this time in 1989, this was on people's minds because you know, what are, what are, what's going to happen? Are we going to have tanks again? What, what's going to happen with this? And the protesters were thinking about this. Yeah, I, know my, I mean, my Gorbachev
0: was pretty. Or, Gorbachev was pretty clear about saying no this won't happen again and you know we're, you know um, let the people choose you guys are on your own um, so yeah it, it was kind of interesting um, but but even this you know massacre at Narodnitrita which you know one person allegedly died if anybody died actually but um, th- this had a huge blowback from from the from the rest of the public,
1: right? You know, this triggered an actor strike as well, and and the protests became a little bit more noticeable by the rest of, of the country. In almost every city throughout Czechoslovakia, uh, this was heard. This was uh, this, you know almost like the shot at Lexington in the United States. It was a shot hurt around the world. Yeah, the protest is spread by, by wildfire. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. So um, so it really caught it. And I know, folks, it it seems like when <laughs> you date date myself a little bit with the show, but um, this is before internet. This was before the, wide, the use of the World Wide Web and getting information as super easy as it is today in the twenty-first early part of the twenty-first century. This did not happen in 1989. This was word of mouth, people calling on on, well, on landline phones. Yeah, and you know, it's not
0: it, even like it would make the news uh, the way it should because it's, you, know, you know it was state-controlled media. Exactly, so and that information was
1: hard to even get outside these borders. So, I mean, uh, it, it was it was something that was kind of kept under wraps in a lot of ways, but had to spread by word of mouth from family to family, friends to friends. By November 20th, uh, there were some 500,000 protesters. So,
0: three days later. Yeah. Within three days. That's an that's, organization. Yeah, so I mean, forget about Occupy Wall Street. This was, this was crazy. Um, yeah, so after a couple of weeks of this, the Communist Party started to give in to more and more demands. So, the and then they eventually collapsed. That's that's really summarizing it a lot. But um, the, you know, instantly they started having talks. The the, the uh, Charter 77 people, the what ended up being the ODS, uh, basically the opposition party, um, started started to uh, kind of formalize and crystallize, and the, some of the leaders started to rise to the top and and you know openly um, discuss their demands with the communist government. So eventually, the, the one of the demands was that the barbed wire was removed along parts of the border from West Germany and Austria, you know, the famous Iron Curtain. And Alexander Dubček was elected Speaker of the Federal Parliament on December 28th. And Dubček, if you were paying attention on the uh, Prague Spring episode, he was the reformer that kind of caused the Prague Spring. So he was a... He still stuck around. Yes, he was yeah. in the Communist Party, but he was very liberal... And so that was actually a huge concession. It wasn't enough in the end, but, but it was a huge concession to say, okay, we'll put this very lenient communist back in charge. But every revolution needs a focal point. Every revolution
1: needs a, a point man. And that point man wasn't Dubcek. It was Václav Havel. Yep. All right, Václav Havel uh, was the president of the Czechoslovakia on uh, December 29, uh, 1989. As a focal point of pre-revolution and post-revolution era, Havel represented that the symbolized the struggle that of, of the Czech people. Uh, his influence on Charter 77 and the role during communism made him a folk hero. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, Travis, his background uh, included several several different uh, uh, hats that he wore actually within within uh, arts and uh,
0: and political science. Yeah, he was a he was a playwright, essayist, poet, dissident, politician. He was. Yeah, kind of a kind of a Renaissance man. He wrote more than 20
1: plays uh, and numerous nonfiction works that were translated internationally. So he was known uh, throughout the world at the time. So this guy could hold his own uh, in, in, in what he wanted to do for the Czech people. One thing that really kind of stands out to me uh, besides his influence on Charter 77's manifesto as a, found, a founding signatory on that, was sort of nonchalance that he brought to the presidency. It was almost like, uh, a, you know, I, I don't want, it's, There's a difference between saying George Washington, in the United States, uh, that he, you know, took the reins reluctantly. Some say George actually kind of positioned himself to take the, to take those reins um, uh, as the first president of the United States. Not so much Václav Havel. I, he, I think he reluctantly took the position, and he wanted to strip it of the ceremony that people expected, expected it to hold. He was kind of the, you know, the every guy, uh, in, in a lot of respects. Yet still an intellectual, and and he paid for this uh, w- through uh, his time that he was uh, incarcerated.
0: So he was a, a dissident. He was he was uh, punished for yeah, he, for, w- for the things that he had said. He was closely watched. He was locked up for a while. Um, it's it actually funny in the last elections that they they me- like I I forget the details, but they mentioned that oh you know you can't run because you don't your your check isn't good enough, and you you know you're just you're kind of an intellectual. You're not a politician. You don't know how to run a government. You know, I was thinking, like, man, the first president was Masaryk, who, his check must have been horrible. He's married to an American. (laughs) And then, you know, Havel was a playwright. I mean, man, the best presidents this country's ever had were not politicians by, you know, by nature. So, but that quickly gets forgotten, I guess, and... uh, Well, you know, we we
1: jumped ahead to the point where he became president in December uh, of 1989, but let's talk about those heady days that led to that. I mean, things happen. If you remember, 1989, folks, uh, it, things happened almost like a domino effect. It, it, people's heads well, were spinning. Yeah, you said that all this changes December, across D- Eastern D- Europe. December
0: 29th, right? Yeah. So it's like a month and some 12 days, or a month and some change. He went from communist government to Václav Havel being the first president. So that that happened quickly. So let's, yeah, let's back up a little bit and uh, kind of see what actually happened, because every, I mean, just every day was just you know a totally different country basically. Well Travis, let's, let's start on November 24th. so a week a week after it started yeah right. so the
1: entire Presidium, including uh, general secretary Milos Jack uh, resigned and more moderate communist replacements were chosen to put in their place. A discussion with the representatives of the opposition was broadcast by Slovak uh, uh, section of the Federal television um, and the very first open discussion on Czechoslovak t- television, um, began during this time on on this on this particular yeah the date. very first
0: one ever yeah. so
1: I mean there were some things they were I think they were trying to rush through saying hey look things are happening in a positive way but we're still going to somewhat control yeah, it yeah but
0: people that tuned into that I bet their jaws just dropped like because yeah, they the never what is this well they've never <laughs> seen anything else they've never seen anything except for like state directed you know almost propaganda in a way and here's like their first open discussion so we move on to the next day
1: and we're, we're and it's 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 very interesting we're talking about day by day here, because things happened so quickly, but the 25th of November uh, saw the communist uh, leadership um, holding a press conference and immediately lost credibility by keeping Miroslav Stefan, uh, the most hated politician at the time, by the way, uh, not allowing him to uh, uh, address any of the demands that were brought to the table. Later that day, Stefan uh, resigned from the position as the Prague secretary. The number of participants in the regular anti-government demonstration in Prague, Letna, which is just across the river, yeah. reached an estimated 800,000 people, if you can put that in your mind.
0: So Prague only has
1: 1.3 million. Yeah, That's so a that's huge...
0: Two-thirds of the city. Everyone came out. Yeah.
1: So again, 800,000 people uh, demonstrating down in Prague. People didn't know what really to expect. Were they going to be brought uh, facing some kind of military or police action down there? No one really kind of knew. But yeah. They thought there would be strength in numbers Cause, nonetheless. Yeah, because
0: in, in the past, you know, the, the police would just walk around with cameras, video, and just start recording faces, and then later trying to... I mean, it was pretty bad. I mean, I, I had... Uh, when I was teaching English, I had a student that I asked him, I was like, so did you go down there? He's like, no, because I had young kids. You know, you, d- you just don't know. Like, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people down there, but if you have young kids and you're not in the Communist Party, you just kind of got to keep your head down and think about these kind of things. Well,
1: you know, think about this for a second, folks. You, you, you've got, you got people that are... are courageous enough to go down not knowing what's going to happen, is, is this going to be a fly-by-night thing or are we going to be reverting right back to a stronger communist influence? Think about what happened just a few years ago in Tehran. You know, uh, there, there were thousands of people that came down to, to protest uh, uh, the government in, in, in Iran. And one of those things where you didn't know what the ramifications would be. Uh, the secret police were taking potshots at people. Uh, yeah. they, they There were people that went missing. We still don't know where they went to this yeah. day. Yeah,
0: so, right? so by everybody coming out, are you going to affect change, or does that just mean the backlash will be even bigger? Exactly. So, so you don't I, know.
1: It, to say there was courage would, would be an understatement. The demonstrations in Bratislava, in in what we know today as their own separate country of, of Slovakia, uh, reached their highest number of participants, around 100,000. For mm-hmm. a smaller city like that, that's pretty significant, Travis.
0: Yeah, so then... The next day, November twenty seventh, a successful two-hour general strike, led by the civic movement, strengthened what were uh, at first kind of a moderate set of demands into cries for a new government. So now they they really saw how much they people really, were supporting them. They saw an opening. They yeah. said,
1: well, "Let's we, we're, this might be our only shot. Yeah. Let's get, not so, ask for piecemeal. Let's ask for the big
0: stuff." Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, like I said, two thirds of the capital is behind them. So they they actually made bigger demands. So on the 27th, between 12 uh, yeah, between twelve and 2, and about, it's estimated about 75 percent of the population joined this general strike. That's huge. Um, so the Ministry of Culture released an anti-communist literature for public checkouts and libraries which effectively ended censorship. So this is, Ministry of Culture said, okay, so we're, you know, we're doing this. So the, for the first time since the communist co- government came into power, you could go to a library and check out books that oh, were how not how banned. How
1: exciting this was within three or four days uh, of saying, uh, you know, we're going to – I can almost see people just printing out flyers in their homemade – you know, basement uh, printing press, and and you know, just trying to crank these things out. You know, uh, I don't think people, a lot of people had access to uh, a lot of those dot matrix printers back then, but if they did, they were probably running uh, well, 24 hours. Yeah, all that non-stop. all that
0: stuff they had hidden since the Prague Spring. You know, finally they brought it to the library and say, hey, you know, let people check it out. Yeah, um, yeah. So, at two days later, on uh, the 29th, the Federal Assembly deleted the provision in the Constitution referring to the quote, leading role of the Communist Party. So this officially ended communist rule in Czechoslovakia. So it kind of ended the, the one-party system in the Constitution. Take a look at the 10th of December, which happen to be a Sunday,
1: President Gustav Husak swore, sworn in as the first government in 41 years that was not dominated by the Communist Party. Well, he resigned shortly afterwards, so it wasn't a very long uh, he, stint there. He was a
0: hated man. You know, right.
1: I, I think he had a little bit of baggage coming into that. Uh, in June of 1990, Czechoslovakia held its first democratic elections since 1946. So uh, things were speeding up quite quickly from the, the late days of November of 1989 going into the uh, after New Year's of of uh,
0: 1990. There's an interesting conspiracy theory that I, I came across when I was researching this. I, I didn't know about this before, but apparently this is a pretty well-known theory here. Here locally, the theory goes that it was the whole revolution was basically a failed ploy for socialist change. So they they saw the change coming in like Hungary and Eastern and East Germany, and so they the Communist Party itself, basically the STB, which is the secret police. Um, was at the head of the SSM, this social, this uh, youth organization that started the, the whole thing. And they were agitating the students. So supposedly they're trying to get the, the really conservative communists out of power and give them the, this kind of reform branch of the party more power, this more kind of middle of the road um, group. Because like we said, they were by far the strictest, most conservative communist party in the Eastern Bloc so that was kind of their goal according to this conspiracy theory i'll i you know i can't overstate that this is a conspiracy theory so take it with a huge pinch of salt but um according to theory so their plan kind of backfired it got a little bit out of hand and this this theory involves you know the kgb gorbachev um again it's probably just a fun tale that checks kind of tell each other uh, i don't give it too much too much weight. If you ever ask a check, like it's a well thought out and detailed theory. So like the the guy that supposedly died, it was uh, some. He was a, he was a secret police agent that faked his own death. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of um, every day in in the story that we've led up to so far. Has especially the the, the first couple of days is like supposedly it's like very well orchestrated, but then obviously it, you know it backfires and. The, the government crumbles. Well,
1: as we know, uh, as we know, Travis, the, the this wasn't the only change that happened in Europe when Czechoslovakia broke away and cre- created their their nation once again. There was several nations that were going through this, and Poland being one of the major big ones. I, I I think you know, and this is still up to historians. I don't. I think we're still too close to it to kind of get a, a really good idea. But there were a lot of people that played certain parts. There were some geopolitics involved. There was some economics involved with the, the fall of uh, the the Iron Curtain and the, the dissolvement of the Soviet Union. Uh, you know, part of, part of that thanks goes to, of course, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev uh, and uh, his, o- his openness uh, to try to get the Soviets to become more open. They, they were hemorrhaging money at the same time. You know, Reagan's presidency in the United States was helping to push that limit as well. They really didn't, uh, the United States didn't back off from um, really pushing the limit. They didn't really reach across the aisle uh, I remember the, the meeting at Reykjavik in Iceland that didn't go well. Uh, a lot of those things added to it, and also Pope John Paul uh, was involved a lot with the underground movement in Poland to try to keep that, those fires stoked. So when the time came, the Poles were ready to, to uh, you know demand their, their independence. All this kind of came over in 1989, again, a very heady time, and I can only imagine what it must have been like here. Things have changed so much just in the past ten years, let alone since 1989 this was a different place, you know? This was a, a, a remarkably different place. And I think the Czechs have come a long way as we kind of kind of sum this up tonight. They've come a remarkably long way uh, from where they were in 1989. And they're still they're still struggling on some things. Uh, as we know in the government, there's some corruption issues that they're trying to work through. They're trying to, to find a good balance with their party systems here. Uh, it's, it's a work in progress. If you were to kind of give a, a picture, we talked about a focal point with Václav Havel. Uh, being uh, a focal point as one person that embodied maybe the this Velvet Revolution in, in many ways. What are some other uh, areas of symbolism? I, I think I've seen some movies that dealt with some symbolism that when people see or hear certain things, they they oh, this 1989 again.
0: Yeah, there was one of the, one of the big kind of symbolic elements was of the demonstration as a whole was this the jingling of keys. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I saw it actually in a, in a movie. Yeah, okay. uh, it, it,
1: that that's been replayed, actual footage of it, and it, it's it's not unlike you would see at a co- an American college football game on a third down uh, situation. Yeah, yeah, when when the third down comes up, before to force the other team on a fourth down, the student section will, will will just jingle their keys. And when you have you know a hundred thousand people jingling keys in a, in a stadium, that's one thing. When you've got five hundred thousand people at Winchester Square jingling keys, it's got to be deafening.
0: Yeah, so it's not it's not just the you know, symbolizing of unlocking doors and like, you know, of change. But it's kind of the demonstrators way of, of telling communists like, okay, you know, jingle, jingle, goodbye, it's time to go home. <laughs> you see people still still grasping at the ideas of what it means to have this freedom, especially
1: if you were, you know, 30 years old and above. You can have some really strong memories of yeah. what it was like
0: beforehand. There's a huge generation gap in this country
1: right there now. Is, and a thank huge. you, because
0: there is a lot of young people
1: that don't know what life was like before then, and yeah. they're they're invested in you know they can go to McDonald's if they want. They take an IMAX movie down in downtown Prague. They can they're wearing the latest fashions. Uh, they they have internet access. They, they don't have any restrictions whatsoever on on their on their freedom in a lot of respects, and and they just don't understand that this was not always the way. So it, it, yeah. it is very interesting to see that you know that generation gap, and also see the progress that Czech people have made. You,
0: you need to watch Goodbye Lenin. You haven't, you haven't seen that? No, you talked about that the other yeah, day. I I'll have to
1: download kind of, it. You Absolutely, just have to. It's good. So we have, we have to give a plug for Goodbye Lenin, which is a, a tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, it's comedy. The, it's right? the East German
0: version of that, but yeah, it's you just see the juxtaposition of of East versus West, and yeah, it's like it's like black and white. Yeah. Especially the way they portray it in the movie. Right, right. Yeah. right.
1: Well, we want to thank you all for listening tonight to the Bohemian Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a little something along the way about the Velvet Revolution. We'd like to bring you as much of this information as possible about what it's like to live here as two uh, expats living in the Czech Republic. We're, we're learning stuff every day. Uh, so it's been great. So thanks very much for
0: listening. We'll be with you soon. Yep. Thank you very much.
1: You have been listening to the Bohemian Podcast with Pete Coleman and Travis Doe. Visit bohemican.com for more information on this episode, other episodes and much more information about history, traditions and culture in the Czech Republic. Find us on iTunes, subscribe and review and don't forget to rate us. We would love to hear from you. Send comments, ideas and corrections on our comments page on bohemican.com or get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. Tune in to our sister podcast, History of Alchemy, which is also on iTunes or on historyofalchemy.com. Until next time on the Bohemian podcast, thank you for listening.